Welcome to the Shadow Warrior Podcast. I'm the host Rajiv Srinivasan. Episode 102 is titled Crown, Scepter and the Saga of Dharmapuri. In Malayalam, the terms are Kiridam and Chenkol, that is crown and scepter, signifying the powerful symbols of the state. He or she who holds these is deemed to be the ruler, ruling with the full authority of the office and the full approval of the subjects. The words Chenkol in Malayalam and Sengol in Tamil are cognate. Example, Chenkota, red fort in Malayalam, is Sengotai in Tamil. The scepter is an important marker of kingship, so much so that during imperial times, Britain was referred to as the quote-unquote sceptered isle, that is, the unquestioned ruler of its far-flung empire. There is, of course, the third symbol, the throne or simhasanam. During the recent investiture of the British king, I am sure all three of these were on full display. For some reason, the throne seems less important in Indian lore than the other two, but in a wicked pun, the great fabulist Ovi Vijayan, in his savage satire, the saga of Dharmapuri, equated the throne with a European toilet, as in a slang American expression for the erstwhile thunderbox. The Chola Singhal from Tamil Nadu was a sacred symbol included in a vesting ceremony accompanied by a recital of 11 verses from the Tevaram text invoking the blessings of Shiva for the ruler in 1947, according to S. Gurumurthy in How the Sengal Embodied India's Freedom and Why It Was Forgotten and Lost on RepublicWorld.com. Not only was the Sengal forgotten, the Cholas and their great maritime empire that extended all the way to Indonesia were erased. In fact, all of South Indian history including the fabled Vijayanagar Empire, the samurai-like Kalaripayat warriors of the West Coast in Tulunadu, Telugu patriots like Alluri Sitarama Raju, Travancore's Martanda Varma who defeated the Dutch at Kolachal in 1749, and Travancore's Chempakaraman Pillai of the INA who coined the term Jai Hind, was wiped out from the pages of textbooks. In their place, a weird pabulum of make-believe was installed. The sacred Sengal, denoting virtuous and ethical rule per Gurumurthy, was deemed to be a personal gift, a gold walking stick given to Jawaharlal Nehru, which once again shows how a personality cult was relentlessly built up that would make Mao and Kim Il-sung green with envy. Leta, c'est moi. The state, that is I, said Louis XIV, the sun king of France. Well, we know what happened to his descendants, the guillotine. Indians being more gentle have not quite done the same thing, or at least done so only metaphorically. Which reminds me, why is or was Nehru called quote-unquote Pandit Nehru? Who certified him? What was he a pundit in? Did he pass some pundit exam? Ah, it was just part of the personality cult. I don't see other Kashmiri Hindus going around calling themselves pundit. They use their family names. 
So what's special about these people? Oh well, I guess I answered my own question. According to the cult, Nehru's were the hereditary rulers of India, and so it was only natural that the kingship would pass from the British to Nehru. There is only one slight problem. Again, according to Uvi Vijayan, in the path of the prophet, the Nehru's were not hereditary feudal landlords, but ferrymen on the river Nair, quote, they who came from somewhere, unquote, and had taken the name of the river as their surname. Jawaharlal's grandfather, Ganga Dhar, was a kotwal in a Delhi police station. A. Ghosh had some more startling information about this man, who was photographed in a full Patan outfit, but I shall let that pass. I made an attempt at deconstructing the Nehru myth in my 1999 Redif.com essay, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men, wherein I quote at length the relevant passage from Vijayan. In my considered opinion, Nehru was an almost unmitigated disaster for India. He thought India was his personal fiefdom and he was entitled to dispense imperial largesse. He gave away all sorts of things that didn't belong to him in the first place. Treaty rights in Tibet inherited from the British, given away in exchange for nothing. The right of independent Tibet to exist was erased as he colluded with Chinese road building on the Indo-Tibetan border. Chinese troops were actually fed with Indian rice. Pakistan occupied Kashmir given away by taking the issue to the hostile UN instead of allowing the Indian army to cleanse the area of invading Pakistani tribals. UN Security Council seat offered by both the US and Russia. Yes, I can quote chapter and verse on this from Nehru's collected writings given away to China. Cocoa Islands given away to Burma, which is now allowing China to build a naval base there. In addition, Nehru, in his own words in this video, thought that throughout history, South India was a separate country. I get it. He must have taken his pundit exam along with Romila Thapar in ancient Indian history. There is good reason to think of Jawaharlal Nehru as not quite getting the full picture. Chow and Lai allegedly referred to him rather rudely as a, quote, useful idiot, unquote. Then what does that make his acolytes? That was the question Vijayan asked in Dharmapuri which opens with a dramatic statement, quote, Prajapati wanted to shit, unquote, in crude Malayalam. Quote, it was a little off the usual time that day, so the assembled dignitaries were a little disturbed when the army chief blew the conch, signifying that the event was at hand. It was only the late afternoon. Normally, Prajapati did his thing at dawn and dusk to the accompaniment of Dharmapuri's national song, end quote. Prajapati is seated on his quote-unquote throne, a toilet. That was important because whatever Prajapati expelled into the toilet was eagerly consumed by his courtiers. This Brechtian tale is hard to read. It invokes Bibhatsa in the reader, creating both alienation and catharsis. Here's a relevant bit, quote, Whoever became anybody in the kingdom, in industry or in politics, had done so 
by regularly eating Prajapati's shit. Mothers would pray that their children would have an opportunity to consume those perfumed feces. End quote. That's a gross way of putting it, but there's an element of truth. The dynasty demanded utter loyalty. Meanwhile, India's economy kept declining steadily in comparison to the rest of the world until there was a bit of a turnaround in 1991 and accelerating growth in the 2010s. After all these years of living dangerously, India is now inching ahead. With economic growth, it's normal to think of tradition, culture and heritage. It is only fitting then that the Prime Minister took part in an investiture ceremony with several Tamil Nadu Matha Adhipatis in attendance. With native Tamil and Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman taking a visible role, the government has declared its intent to nip any sub-nationalism, which is the US ambassador's obsession, in the bud. It is an emphatic reassertion of pan-Indian nationalism, necessary in these times of increasingly complex geopolitics. It is time to decisively throw off the shibboleths of the immediate post-independence period. The Chola-style Sengal is being restored to its rightful place as a symbol of the resurgent Indian state, as it was intended to be in the first place, not, absurdly, some guy's walking stick.